You're listening to the Sunday morning service from Harvest Bible Church. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Pamela Butler. To learn more about us, please visit harvestbibleonline.org. Motherhood plays an important role in the Bible. It binds the beginning and the end. These stories offer us a glimpse into the heart of God. And so we start at the beginning. Taken from the side of Adam, gifted with bringing forth life, the first woman was named Eve because she was the mother of all living. But she was also a mother in her own right, the first of many mothers to come. Though Sarah's womb was closed, God promised nations and kings would come from her. Ten years pass and motherhood seems as impossible as the day it was promised. But the Lord is faithful to keep his promises and Sarah bore a son who made her laugh. Leah was the firstborn, overlooked by her husband Jacob, who gave his heart to her younger sister. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. Despite Jacob's disdain, she found her motherhood in the Lord. When Pharaoh became angry at the fruitfulness of the Hebrews, Jochebed sacrificed her motherhood for the sake of her son. When Pharaoh's daughter saw the child, she had compassion on him. Because of Jochebed's sacrificial motherhood, the Israelites found freedom. Naomi was a mother who experienced the loss of her sons, yet she gained a daughter in Ruth who declared, For where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Naomi and Ruth became family by faith. Mary, a virgin and not yet married, was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. The motherhood of this blessed woman was more than the continuation of a family name, but a means for God to bring a savior into the world to save his people from their sins. From the garden to the cross, there have always been mothers. These women paved the way for all women, representing the full spectrum of the ways one could be called mom. Whether a mother in faith, mentorship, adoption, or by birth, you play an important role in the stories of generations to come. To all the Sarahs, Leahs, Jochebeds, and Naomis, Happy Mother's Day. Amen. Thank you, sis. That was beautiful. I tell you, you don't know what a miracle she is sitting over there. Just maybe she'll start share her big story someday, but wow, what a mighty thing God has done for her. And you just don't know. <laughs> God is amazing. And that was a beautiful song. Amen. Amen. You know, when you walk through the bitter dark valley, I tell you, God does become someone special to you, and, um, and it's beautiful to see. You can either become, I've heard someone say, bitter or better in the hard times, and thank you, Diana, for becoming a better woman of God, a better, a better person through all that you walk through. Well, Father, I just want to thank you this morning, God, for your word that's just so powerful. God, I thank you that You have prepared for us something that is uh, from your heart. And Lord, I just pray that you would give us ears to hear everything that the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Although this is Mother's Day, this is not just a Mother's Day message. This is a message for all of us to receive this morning. And so, Father, I pray that you would just cause every heart to be tender this morning, God, that they would receive your word with thankfulness. And God, that you would just bless us by all that you want to say and do a miracle in our hearts today, Father. We ask in the powerful name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, I want to talk to you uh, about the power of a good story, the power of a good story. And um, what makes a good story, you know, and, and I looked that up, what makes a good story? What makes a good intrigue of a book? It says that it has to have a strong plot that is centered on one moment 
an interruption of a pattern, a turning point, or an action that raises a dramatic question, which is answered throughout the course of the story. A good plot has three elements. It has challenge, conflict, and character. And how many know that the Bible is a good story? And it's not just one story. It is God's big story. But God's big story is made up of several little mini stories. And and the thing I love about God, if you look at Matthew chapter 1, in in Matthew chapter 1, we see that God purposely brings out the lineage of, of Jesus Christ. Now, I know that, how many of you have done the DNA family hereditary book? You know your roots, you know where you came from. Really? Just a few of you? Well, the rest of us, we got to catch up. Yeah. There's, and, and did you find anything crazy in your family tree? Hey, I've talked to some people that have found out about relatives they never knew existed. You know, a brother, oh boy, that they didn't know they had. And, um, you know, so, so there, you know, not, and not every family is perfect. And Jesus certainly did not come from a perfect family. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't you think that Jesus, the son of God, came from this perfect family that had no drama? But in Matthew, I, I, I want to say that Jesus, or God, specifically moves upon Matthew to bring out um, the, the lineage of Jesus Christ. And, you know, and, and as we're going to begin to look at the Bible this morning, you're going to begin to see that, that God's stories, that he picks people in the story, they're not perfect people. Matter of fact, their stories are a lot like the older people in this room. You remember the, the, the show Dallas? Who shot JR? That was a great show. No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I was just a kid. Thank God someone finally shot that man. That's all I have to say. Hallelujah. No, just kidding. But you know, there was there was JR. There was Dallas. And Dallas was all about family drama. Now, for you younger modern generation, you got one going too. How many in this room, don't raise your hand, are addicted to the new series Yellowstone? Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Well, let's just bring up a little drama on Yellowstone. I just kind of looked. I haven't seen it, though. I've, I've heard of it. And I know some of my fellow sisters in this room are, are really loving it. And here's just some of the characters in it. It says, talking about the daughter of, um, I guess it's, it's um, what's the guy? Aha, I know who's watching over here. (laughs) It was a test. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, brother. Kevin Costner. He's like the dad, the widowed father. I I don't know. I just looking this up. But listen to this this description of of a daughter. It says, although she's well-educated and highly intelligent, she's a master manipulator. Okay. Hit a chord there. It says that Beth is bitter and emotionally unstable, and she suffers from substance abuse that she later overcomes. She is loyal and extremely protective of her father, and she's in love with Rip Wheeler, whom she marries, although not legally binding, at the end of season four. I mean, come on. Then there's, there's Jamie Dutton, an attorney, an aspiring politician, and John and Evelyn's second oldest child. Although completely loyal to his father and family, he is constantly frustrated by their apparent intolerance of him. Jamie has an intense love and hate relationship with his sister Beth, and in season three, it's revealed. Hope you've watched it all. He was actually adopted by John and Evelyn, and his biological father was murdered murdered his mother and went to prison. Come on, this is family drama at the best. And so in Matthew chapter 1, it says this, and starting with verse 1, it says, This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and Abraham. For Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. They bring out the mom, Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Solomon. 
Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz. You probably recognize that name, whose mother was actually Rahab. And Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Now, here are... um, here, God is not trying to hide the lineage of Jesus, where he, what kind of a family he came from. Um, they, are, they are less than perfect. You know, he, he, he purposely identifies these four mothers. And, and the thing that I want you to see, the name Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, is scandal is attached to all four of those women. Scandal. These four mothers, however, are listed with divine intention because it shows that God can redeem, God can rewrite, and God can restore all that has been taken, broken, or defiled. Amen? And God's not ashamed to include them in his lineage. Praise the Lord. But he shows how he weaves their lives into his beautiful tapestry of redemption. Every one of these women can make the claim that my past does not define me. They were broke free from lives that they were handed to make themselves and their children a whole new entire lineage of grace. Now, why why is this so important to you and I? It's because no matter what kind of scandalous mess and perfections that you may have been conceived into, your story can be changed too. Now, I'll tell you, I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled with this message today. I had probably six different messages. I, I started on this one, and I went, oh, wait, no, no, it's going to this one. And then, oh, no, no, it's this. I mean, I'm back. I've never done that before. Back, I think it is that some of you were thinking, some people were thinking of coming, and God says, okay, we need this message. And then they said, oh, yeah, I want, I'm not going to go. And then God goes, oh, oh, no, these ones are coming, so we better prepare this message. And then he said... Oh, no, no, they're not showing up. So, oh, better go to this message. And so finally he honed it down to this one. So you all got a good story apparently in your family tree. And, um, and so God has, uh, I believe, to be a very unique Mother's Day message and a very encouraging one. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11, please. 2 Samuel chapter 11. This morning, we're going to look at just a few of these stories that are talked about in the Bible, these, um, some women, some mothers, and some children. And um, these are very unique situations, and, um, and, but, and I want to purposely point out um, the broken dynamics in, this, in these families. And so the first one we're going to look at is found in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. It says, in the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. And they destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now, late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And as he looked over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. And he sent someone to find out who she was, and he, told, and he was told she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, she, he slept with her, and had just compl- she had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home, and later Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, and she sent David a message and said, I'm pregnant. Now, this is certainly not a story you will find on the Hallmark shows. (laughs) But you know, this is certainly some intriguing story that you, you you definitely see that, I mean, this is a movie, right? This is intriguing. A king sees a woman bathing. He should be out in war. He brings her into the palace and she gets pregnant. It goes on and it says, Then David sent word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. She, he fetches her husband. So Joab sent him to David. And when Uriah arrived, David asked him how, how Joab and the army were getting along and how was the war progressing. 
And then he told Uriah, now go home and relax. God even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. But Uriah did not go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. When David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked him, what's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? And then Uriah replied, the ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents, and Joab, my master's men are camping in open fields. How could I go home and to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. Well, stay here today, David told him, and tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that next day, and then David invited him to a dinner, and he got him drunk. But even then, he wouldn't get, go, he wouldn't, Uriah wouldn't go home to his wife. And again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. Man, come on, this plot's getting juicier. (laughs) This is straight out of the Bible, folks. Verse 14, now the next morning. David wrote a letter to Joab, and he gave it to Uriah to deliver. And the letter instructed Joab, Station Uriah in front of the lines where the battle is fiercest. Then pull back so that he will be killed. And so Joab assigned Uriah to to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy's soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. And then Joab sent a battle report to David, and he told him his messenger to say, report all the news of the battle to the king, that he might get angry and ask, why did the troops get so close to the city? Didn't they know that there would be shooting from the walls? Wasn't Abimelech, son of Gideon, killed at Thebes by a woman who threw a millstone on his, down on him from the wall? Why would you get so close to the wall? And then tell him this, Uriah the Hittite was killed too. So the messenger went to Jerusalem and gave a complete report to David. And the enemy came out against the open fields. And he said, as we chased them back to the city gate, the archers of the wall shot arrows at us. And some of the king's men were killed, including Uriah the Hittite. And David says, well, tell Joab not to be discouraged. For the sword devours this one today and the one tomorrow. Fight harder next time and conquer the city. But when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. And when the period of mourning was over, David sent for her, brought her into the palace, and she became one of his wives. And then she gave birth to a son. But the Lord was displeased with what David had done. You think? (laughs) Wow, this is a story. I'm surprised we haven't seen this. Well, I guess they do actually have, I guess Hollywood did make this one. But I want you to see that here is a woman that was, uh, became a very unplanned, had a very unplanned and very unwanted pregnancy. And um, in her story, we see that Bathsheba was exceptionally beautiful. And she was a married woman. Her husband Uriah was an honorable man, I believe, by what we see that he refused to go and... Um, you know, go home and sleep with his wife in luxury and delight when his army is out in the field and they're, you know, in the open field. He, there's, there's something honorable about this man that refuses to delight in pleasure while his fellow soldiers are not. And so to me, that says that he was a very, it shows me he was a very honorable man. But this woman Bathsheba is brought into the palace by men that were sent to fetch her. She's not in a position to say no. Because the king had the power. She is what we would call today a victim of power rape. Meaning she's under the psychological pressure of one in power over her. And the thing that we see with David is that she was disposable. When he's done, he sent her home. This was not a story about a man who was in love with a woman. No, this is a story of a man who was in lust with a woman and took what he wanted from her. He was fine until the pregnancy threatens for him to be discovered what he had did in darkness. And so a cover-up plan is kicked in. And David in the end will end up destroying a family, a husband, a wife, and the life of an unplanned child. An article I read written in, um, in Crosswalk, she said this, I thought was really good. She said that Bathsheba 
was a victim who suffered from multiple life-changing traumas in one year. She was separated from her husband as a military wife. She was taken advantage by her king. She became pregnant from an adulterous affair. She grieved a murdered spouse. Um, and she, uh, she became married to the king only to become his fourth wife. And her baby born died seven days later after his birth. And now her identity was that of a woman who only became the wife of the king because of scandal, deception, cover-up, and shame. David had stolen the life of this woman Bathsheba. He, he stole her future with her husband. He, he stole her future children with her husband that, that they might have had. He stole her reputation, her integrity, and the life of their firstborn son. But the story does not end right there. And this is, you know, this is the story of many women. Many women can have this same type of history that maybe you or someone you know became pregnant and because of an advantage that was taken over you and you had an unplanned pregnancy, an unwanted pregnancy, and life, you were thrown into a situation. I mean, this woman was in a very, her story is painful and, um, and full of shame. But we see in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24, It says, meanwhile, Joab was fighting against Rabbah, the capital of Amnon, and he captured the royal fortifications. Oh, wait, let me see. That's not where I want to go. Um, Hold on, hold on. Is it 1224? Oh, I was just, okay, I was in the right spot. Okay, David replied, this is now, now she's, remember, he marries her to cover up the baby, Right? He's going to now, it's going to be his baby, which it is his baby. And so David, he marries her. She has the baby. The baby is sick. And so the baby's dying. And then um, he, and the baby dies. Now, this is David's reply in verse 22. I fasted and wept while the child was alive, for I said, Perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let this child live, but why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. Then this verse, then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and he slept with her and she became pregnant and she gave birth to a son and they named him Solomon. And the Lord loved the child and sent word through Nathan the prophet that they should name him Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Here's a, a tragedy, a tragic story of a woman. I mean, just her life is, is shattered. And she loses a spouse. She loses her, 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 her purity. She uses, loses all of this. It's taken from her. And the very firstborn child that she gives birth to is taken from her. And, and, and at the end of the story, you would think, this, bless this woman's heart. What a horrible tragedy. But thank the Lord that David was a man who did the right thing. I mean, he was wrong. The prophet Nathan came and spanked him. And that will be a Father's Day message. That won't be today's message. (laughs) David does the right thing. So we won't go on all David's thing, but David does confess his sin. He does make it right. And I believe Bathsheba does become a very a wife that maybe he lusted for her, but in the end, she becomes a woman that he loves. And the great thing, the, the great restorative power about what God does through the story of Bathsheba is he gives her a child named Solomon. And Solomon is no ordinary little boy, Right? Solomon is loved by God. Solomon is the son of King David. And, and, and this son becomes a powerful king in himself. Of all the sons that David had, it's Solomon that God chooses to make to be the next king. And um, you would think with that scandal, you know, and, that, and all that tragedy, why would Solomon be chose? Because God is a God of grace and mercy. And God is a God who rewrites our story. And with this, we see, you know, wh- how do you think that, that Solomon felt about his mother? Well, if you look over in 1 Kings, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 2. This is, this is so beautiful because, you know, now I want to speak to you as a child that maybe your mother was scandalous. Maybe the way... Your mother conceived you wasn't good, and maybe you're angry at your mother from her scandalous past. But you know what? There's a lot to be learned from their story. 
And the older, especially the older generations, you know, there's a lot of skeletons in them closet. You know, <laughs> I, I have, you know, the, I, I, my, when my father passed away, I, I met with my aunts and I was finding some stories about my grandmother I didn't know. And, you know, there are some stories, but, you know, there's, there's things, there's reasons sometimes why mothers think did what they did. Are mothers perfect? No. Sometimes they've been dealt a really bad hand. But the thing about Solomon, Solomon doesn't stand in judgment to his mother. But look in, in 1 Kings chapter 4, what it, what it says, or chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 19. All right, it says, I hope I have wrote that down right. <laughs> Hang on now. Uh, second, this is what happens. Oh, I'm in First Kings. Okay, I got to get in the right Kings. First Kings chapter 2. Too many Kings in here. Thank you. I'm going there, folks. There we go. Oh, okay, First Kings chapter 2, verse 19. Um, says this about his, him and his mother. So Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak on Adonijah's behalf. The king rose from his throne to meet her, and he bowed down before her. And when he sat down on his throne again, the king ordered that a throne should be brought for his mother, and she sat at his right hand. Isn't that a beautiful redemptive story? I mean, it shows, it shows such love. You know, he was the great king. He was the son of a great king. He was famous. He was powerful. He was a great leader in his kingdom. He was revered by all. And yet he bows to honor her as a sign of respect and loyalty. I love, I love the story of Bathsheba in the sense that God doesn't leave her in trauma. God doesn't leave her in destruction. God doesn't leave her without hope. But God rewrites her story. So much so that gives her this son that the Bible says that Solomon was the wisest man on the earth until Jesus Christ came. He was very wise, very wealthy. He built the temple of God. His architecture, I mean, then that's a whole nother story about him too. But, you know, maybe you did not become a mother with a happy romantic beginning. Maybe your child was not conceived in the mutual covenant and the bond of love. But I'm telling you, God can redeem your story. And if you are that child, you know, God can take what was meant for evil. And when we put our faith and our trust, God can turn it for our good. Amen? As Solomon did. It says in Proverbs chapter 1, again, uh, Solomon talking about his mother. I love this passage in, in Proverbs chapter one. These are the songs, the Proverbs of Solomon. He says, um, verse one, these are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. And their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. And their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. And these Proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young, Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser and let those with understanding receive guidance. By exploring the meaning in these proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. For the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. And listen what he says. My child, listen when your father corrects you and don't neglect your mother's instruction. What you learn from them will crown you with grace and be a chain of honor around your neck. I mean, some mamas have gone through hell and back. And I'm telling you, they've got some words of wisdom, right? They've, they've gone through the hard knocks of life. And, and, and I believe that Solomon is saying this about his very mother, that she has some instruction. And we even find in Proverbs that she warns him about the seductress woman. She warns him, and, and same with his father. And I'm telling you, you know, we all need to listen. You know, maybe, maybe your mother's not here anymore, but there are mothers around you. Maybe the, you remember the words that your mother spoke. Maybe, you know, maybe you disdained what she said. Maybe you disdained her. But there are things that we can learn from our mothers if we allow God to, to teach and take the richness, the, what is it, the straw, the, the weed out of the straw. And, um, you know, you have spiritual mothers, you know, and they're here to instruct you. And the Bible says that these mothers, the, the, the instructions that they give you, 
They will crown you with grace. Amen. And I love that because Solomon is saying this about his imperfect mother. You may not be an imperfect mother or a perfect mother. You may have a life filled and stained with shame. And maybe you feel like you don't have anything to offer your children. But I'm telling you, rewrite your story. Change the person that you used to be to the person that you can be. God can take the broken things. God can take the mess. God can take the destruction. God can take the pain. God can take anything that the evil meant to destroy you. And he can turn it for your good. He can redeem your past. He can redeem your shame. And the enemy would love you to be cloaked in shame, be loved to to make you feel unworthy. But God can take that, that very story that was written about you and bring honor and glory to who he is, the God of redemption, the God of restoration, the God who, who will make a way where there seems to be no way. Amen. We look at another story in Esther, the book of Esther chapter 2, if you'll turn there with me. Esther chapter 2, we're going to look at her life, and this is a, a, of, a, of, a, of a child, right? She's, she's not a mother in this story, but she is a child. And Hadessa, her name was Hadessa, Hadessa or Esther, and in chapter 2, um, I won't preference the whole story too much, but we know that it's uh, the children of Israel were taken into captivity into Babylon, and um, and here they were, you know, servants to 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 Babylon and to the king, and the king had a wife, and you know, and and this is probably the the story that you men wanted to hear today about the king who had a wife and she didn't obey him, so he got rid of her. No, just kidding. That is not the story. That's not the story. That's not the story you want to hear. That's the Father's Day message. <laughs> Pastor Mark, come on. No, um, and you know, again, intrigue. I'm telling you, you want some juicy stuff? Look in your Bible. It's, it's in there. God doesn't cover up. God doesn't, God exposes the truth because God uses such broken, fractured people. But the king, you know, wants to, he wants to parade his wife and he's, they're all a drunken mess right? They've just partied and festival. The men are all drunk and the men want to bring the queen and so that they can gaze on her beauty. And she says, no. And so the king the men say to the king, oh my gosh, if you don't do something, if you don't discipline her, all of our wives are going to stop, stop listening to us. I'm preaching now, men, aren't I? (laughs) And so she is banished. She is banished she was banished from what (laughs) I'll ask you later Uh, she is banished from the kingdom and so now now um, there is the exerces is you know he's lonely now he wants a woman and he's just banished her to please the men and so they come up with this great plan well let all the virgins of the area be brought in and let the king create a harem and choose a queen and so now we meet Hadassah or Esther and I want to begin reading in verse uh, chapter 2 verse 5 it says at that time there was a Jewish man in the fortress of Susa whose name was Mordecai son of Jair and he was from the tribe of Benjamin and was a descendant of Kish and Shimei. His family had been among those with whom King Jehoiakim and of Judah had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This man had a very beautiful and a lovely young cousin named Hadassah, who was also called Esther. And when her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family, and he raised her as her own daughter. Um, If we skip over to verse 15, um, it says that Esther was a daughter of Abihel and was Mordecai, who was Mordecai's uncle. Mordecai had adopted his younger cousin Esther, and when it was Esther's turn to go to the king, she accepted the advice of Haggai, the eunuch in charge of the harem. She asked for nothing except what he suggested, and she was admired by all who saw her. Now, um, we won't read the whole story, but let's let's look at Esther. This is a this is a young child, a young girl who's brought into exile into a foreign country. She's taken from her homeland. She's you know brought in here, and her parents are killed. They're dead, and now she's an orphan. And she's adopted by her uncle Mordecai or her cousin Mordecai, um, and she's being raised by which is her cousin. She's being raised by him. 
What kind of a future does this young orphan girl have? She's taken now, as a young orphan girl, now she's taken, she's, she's one of the many girls that are swept into the king's harem, and, um, you know, and that would be that you sleep one night with the king, and if he didn't like you, then you go into his big harem of concubines, and you're just one of the many, right? And so, but that was not God's plan for this young girl. God made the difference, praise the Lord. And again, isn't, isn't the Bible got some amazing stories in it? Oh my goodness, and you thought your family was crazy. <laughs> but this young girl is not merely to become a concubine, but she becomes a queen. God can intervene into what seems to be an impossible and painful life and turn it for good. In Esther chapter 4, verse 13 It says this about her. Uh, Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. So now, you know, the wicked Nahum wants to destroy all the Jewish people. She is now the queen. Again, I'm skipping through the story here. She's now the queen. Mordecai is telling her, you better do something. And she tells him, look, if I do something, if I go in before the king that I've not been invited to go, and he doesn't hold the scepter to me, I will be dead. And we know from his past that he means what he means. The last queen did not fell, you know, uh, very well. And so Mordecai, verse 13 says, Mordecai sent this reply to Esther, don't you think for a moment because you're in the palace that you will escape when all the Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at such a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. And who knows? If perhaps you were made queen, let's all say it, for such a time as this. Amen. Y'all know that line, right? For such a time as this. That's such a powerful statement. For such a time as this. And so Esther sent his reply, her reply to Mordecai and said, Go gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go to see the king. And if I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away, and everything that Esther had ordered him, she, they did. Now, again, what an amazing story. Uh, she, she is a woman who is, who is probably a woman who was very, you know, had, had gone through a lot of loss, right? We know she did. She probably had a, a lot of fear. But we see a woman who is transformed into a woman of great faith. Her story was changed to show Honor, she showed honor, she showed obedience, admiration, love, and she had a life of prayer. And she altered the future of herself and her people around her. She showed great courage and a woman who was wise and strategic and bold in the face of great danger. Here is a woman for such a time as this, an orphan child. And you know, and maybe that was you. Maybe you were abandoned by your mother. Maybe you were abandoned by your father. Maybe you, you know, maybe your story is abandonment. And maybe, you know, and, and, and we see with this story, and, and it doesn't even just end there. We see she's brought into an ungodly kingdom and she's brought and she hides. And, and we know that's why I believe she had fears because she hides her true identity. She doesn't even tell him she's a Jew. She hides who she is. And then we find that, that as she's raised to this position, Mordecai begins to instruct her and she listens as an obedient, you know, a very obedient, open heart and says, it's probably... For such a time as this, that that's why you're the king, the queen. And all of a sudden, all the tragedy of her life makes sense. Thank God, thank God that God can take everything that seems so tragic, everything that seems impossible. Again, the story that just seems has, will never have a good ending. And God, if we will be people of faith and trust and confidence and be like this young girl, no matter what your parents, like I said, if you were abandoned, God can raise you up for such a time as this. And you can not only change your future, but the future of 
of all those around you. You know, some of you come from families of alcoholism and addiction and, you know, all kinds of sexual sins and just all kinds of shame in the past and, and, and even maybe diseases and failures and losses and just, come on, that family tree's got some monkeys in it, you know, <laughs> they got some loonies in it, you know, and maybe there, maybe there is some mental health issues back here too. And, and you just think, oh my God, is that who I'm going to be? But thank God that does not have to be the story written about you. God can take your story. And if you will put your trust and your confidence in him, God will rewrite it. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to show you one more just really quick in the story of Hagar. In Genesis chapter 16, um, and, and we'll just, I'll just preface this because the, these are stories that the reason I picked these women today or God picked these women today, he knew some of you were here that needed to hear these stories. You could relate because these are not perfect mama stories, right? These are not, these are not even good stories. Like they are stories filled with, with just some scandal attached and Hagar is no different. She is a woman who was forsaken, She was a woman who was brought into a plan, a scheme by two people who were supposed to be godly. They brought her right in the middle and that was Abraham and Sarah. And in chapter 16, or chapter, actually, um, yeah, at chapter 16, it says this, now Sarah and Abraham's wife had not been able to bear child, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. And so Sarah said to Abraham, the Lord has presented or prevented me from having children. Go sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed with Sarah's proposal. And so Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram settled in the land of Canaan. And so Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. And then Sarah said to Abraham, this is your fault. <laughs> just let's all stop there. Just kind of, yeah. Let it soak right there. This is your fault. You men are enjoying that way too much. Okay. She says, I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show you who's wrong, you or me. <laughs> it's powerful words. Now, Abraham replied, Abraham replied, look, she's your servant. So deal with her as you see fit. And so Sarah treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. Gosh, do you blame the woman? (laughs) Now look at this. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. And the angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? She says, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. And then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. And you are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. And this son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in the open hostility against all his relatives. And thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord, who had spoken to her, and she said, You are the God who sees me. And she also said, I have truly seen the one who sees me. And so she named that well the name Ber Leho Roi, which means well of the living one who sees me. Now this, this is a very tragic story, and boy, it's got some drama, some family dynamics, some history <laughs> that we're still living with. But what I want you to see about this young girl is that Hagar was a woman who was seen by God. If you've ever been a victim of anything, to be seen, to be heard, is to be validated. It's so important that victims are validated, that someone has seen what I went through. Someone understands, someone, someone sees the tragedy that I went through. And this woman who's forsaken, she was brought into a plan and um, that she had not planned for herself. You know, her life was changed by these other people. It was not her choice. It was not her fault. She was sent away and she was forsaken. But the first thing we see that when God says to name the Ishmael, 
the name, the boy Ishmael, it means that God has heard your distress. And not only does, has God heard your distress, but she says, oh no, but also God sees me. She becomes validated in this situation. And God shows her that he will take control of her life if she will put her trust in him. And that God recognizes, and rather she recognizes that God is going to take care of her and her son in spite of being the sum of someone else's bad choices. Maybe that's your story. You know, I don't know the family dynamics that you've come from. I don't know the family dynamics of your lineage and what's happened in your past. You know, maybe you feel or have felt like the woman who was forsaken. Maybe you were, you know, this, I mean, she doesn't even get to enjoy her husband. She's still referred to him as a servant. You know, she's just, she's just the leftover usage part. They, they had a plan and it failed in their eyes. And, she's, and her son are the product of it. But we find here the grace and the mercy of God, that God is the God who sees you. And God is the God who hears your distress. You may be like this young mother without a choice, without love, forsaken, but God has heard your distress. And God is the one who wants to validate your worth and restore your life from destruction. If anything we see, God is in the business of taking broken people, lives that are scarred with scandal and pain, and making them shine with new life, vigor, and restoration. Amen. Um, I, I want to read the last three little scriptures here. Um, how many pages do I got? Oh, yeah, I got a bunch. No, <laughs> I already did these ones, so you're good. You're all good. I'm going to find them. Oh, they are enumerated here. Oh, yeah, here they are. Look at the, listen to these scriptures. Psalm 2710. Even if my father, father and my mother abandon me, the Lord will take me up. Amen. Isaiah 49, 14 and 16 says, yet Jerusalem, this is God speaking, yet Jerusalem says the Lord, they say that the Lord has deserted us and the Lord has forgotten us. And God says, never. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, God says, I will never forget you. For I have written your name on the palms of my hands. And that is a beautiful representation of Jesus hanging on the cross. That God will never forget you. I don't care what kind of a father, what kind of a mother you had. You may have been rejected. You may, maybe you came from a perfect home. Maybe you have a Cinderella story. Well, no, it's not, it's not a good story. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, those good stories, those good, those happy stories, those perfect people, you know, the Joneses family. Is there any Joneses in the house? No. Um, maybe you come from, from what seems to be a perfect lineage, but then, you know, sometimes we, we, we have children and we watch them go through hard times and we see them go through difficult times. Whatever your story may be this morning, whether we had a good mother, a bad mother, maybe you are a good mother, and maybe you had a came from you know bad situation god can take and make what the enemy meant to destroy you and bring god's greatest glory in your life amen if anything i want to encourage you this morning let god rewrite your story it's not over as long as you put your faith your trust and your confidence in god in this morning amen um could you go get the children father we just want to thank you so much for your great love for us Oh, Father, how we love you. And I thank you this morning that as we have seen in your word this morning that, God, you're not afraid of scandal. You're not afraid of people who've made mistakes. You're not afraid of broken people. You're not afraid of sinful people. God, I thank you that we are, have all been sinners, God, that we were all saved by grace when we received Jesus Christ. And God, I think that that's why you came. You came as a redeemer. You came as a restorer. You came to rewrite what the enemy was trying to do with our lives. God, you've redeemed us. And Father, I don't know who all who's in this room this morning. I don't know, uh, maybe some of them have had horrible relationships with their moms. Maybe they, maybe their mom is even deceased. And, and Father, maybe there's such sorrow and there's sadness because there wasn't a good relationship. 
God, you can still rewrite that story. And God, I, I just pray for, for all the mamas that made bad choices. And, and God, and, and I just pray that this morning, God, that you let them know that their story is not over. And that, God, you are a God of promise, a God of hope. And so this morning, God, whatever it is, this morning, God, may we be like Solomon. May we, may we not judge what our parents have gone through. They've made a lot of mistakes, God. I know that I, I wanted to be the perfect parent. I wanted to be the perfect mother. And, God, I have, I have mistakes and tragedy in my story, too. But, God, just as Solomon honored and revered his mother, God, and, and he listened to her instructions. I pray that this morning, God, that we would still honor our mothers, that, God, we would, we would hear the redemptive story of their life, and that, God, we would, just, we would grow thereby from it. And, Father, we, just, we love you because ultimately what it all comes down to is our stories don't end with us. Our stories always end with you. And so, Father, this morning, every mama in this room that's broken or not broken, that maybe their children's lives are broken, maybe, maybe they were the best moms that they could, they could be, they felt like they did the best that they could do, and their children are not living for you, their children are in brokenness themselves. God, I thank you that that story is not over either. I thank you, God, that this morning that we would be mamas who would be fervent to know that when we pray, things happen. That just as as the Sheba, God, we don't know all the backstory, but I believe that somehow this woman became a, a good a good mom, and she instructed and taught Solomon because Solomon was a man who feared you, and Solomon was a man who sought your wis, your wise counsel. God, may we be the moms to just just to to know when to speak and know to be quiet. But God, we can always pray. And God, just give us that fervency to never give up. As that song we said this morning, that your love never gives up. It never gives up on me. God, we will not give up on our children, but we will pray for them. We will pray for our grandchildren, God, because we, we don't want the tragedy of our stories to become their story, but we want a new story, a story of the blessing and the goodness of God and God's power working in their lives, God's restoration. And so we declare that this morning, everything being redeemed, everything being restored, and everything being rewritten this morning in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. 